Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We are wrapping up today. This is the last week in 1 Corinthians. So we've been here for about eight months. And so uh, this is week number 31. Wrapping up 1 Corinthians, we're going we're gonna to run through the... The, the last chapter, chapter 16, we're not going to go every single verse in 16, but we're going to wrap things up in 1 Corinthians. So this summer, we are again going to do uh, the, the pew to the pulpit. So at that point, it may be the chair to the pulpit. I don't know. But uh, we're going to do a pew to the pulpit. So we're going to hear some, some different guys in the church as they share the summer. Uh, John Lights will be here. Corey's going to preach this summer. Uh, we're also planning on doing a youth Sunday, so the youth are going to take care of the, organizing the Sunday. It's going to be a really neat time together. So we've got some cool things happening this summer. All right, we're just going to pray and uh, commit this time to the Lord. So Lord, we thank you so much for all that, we've, um, all that we've seen this morning with the dedication, the graduates, the opportunity to sing your praises. And Lord, we pray that as we, as we turn to your word this morning that you would, you would speak to us. You would give us open hearts and open ears to hear and receive with faith. God, thank you for the privilege of being able to hear your words, of, of being able to, to openly share uh, your testimonies. God, thank you for that great freedom and that great privilege. Lord, we ask this morning that we would fix our eyes upon you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had this experience with, with your kids, um, we would, our kids go to camp every summer, and as they go to camp, drop them off, and, and there's so many things, you know, they're going to be gone for a week, and so there's all these things that you have on your heart that you want to impart to your children, because you're not going to see them for a week, and there's many things that you want to tell them before, you know, the departure. And as you're going through these experiences of what am I going to say to my kids, and heaven forbid something would happen to me while we're apart, and I may never see them again, what are they going to remember me saying to them and imparting to them, you know, lastly. But inevitably, what ends up happening in, in, in my, at least in my experience, is that as we're pulling away in this moment of like, we love you, we're going to miss you, and, and all these things, I end up saying something like, and don't forget to brush your teeth and change your underwear, okay? And very, very important things, right? Those are, you've got to remember those things, you know, like son, if you don't do these things, you're not going to get very far in life. Those are two things you need to do on a fairly regular basis in order to make something of your life. But it just seems kind of out of place, doesn't it? Well, as we dig into 1 Corinthians 16, Paul is running through an entire list of things that he's wanting to kind of wrap up with the church as he closes out this letter. And so he's going through, there's going to be a collection for the, the Jerusalem church. There's going to be further travel plans. There's an update on some other missionaries. There's greetings from other churches to the Corinthian church. But in the middle of all this, he kind of, kind of throws in there a few things that are really important for the Corinthians to know. And it seems kind of out of place, but we're going to turn there this morning. So let's look at verses 12 through 14 in chapter 16. Like I said, this is sandwiched in between a whole bunch of other stuff that he's got going on. So now we read in verse 12, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. 
He will come when he has the opportunity. So he's just going about the daily routine, the daily grind, what's going on, what's happening. But then we get to verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And then he goes on from there to talk about some other churches and those kinds of things. So I wanted to just take a look at these few verses this morning. The things that kind of seem out of place, like he's, he's leaving and he's th- telling them all these other things, but in the middle of this is, is this nugget of truth. He's kind of summarizing almost the entire book. He said, I want you guys to remember these things on top of everything else that we've learned. Remember these things. So he says, he says be watchful, stand firm in the faith, Act like men, be strong, and then let everything that you do, let it all be done in love. We're not going to get through all of those. We're going to get through the first three. So he says, be watchful, first off in in verse 12. Be watchful. Now remember, in in Corinth at this time in the first century, Corinth was an up-and-coming city. They had just a, a bustling business or a port city. They had lots of commerce coming through there, lots of money to be made, lots of temples that were built, lots of opportunities for people to make make something of their lives. But the shadow side of all of that, as you know, was it was the Las Vegas of the first century. They had all kinds of things available to them. And in their culture, they lived in a culture that hated God, wanted nothing to do with the God of the Bible. Want everything to do with the temples and, and the prostitution and the money and the quick and the quick riches and all those other things, but the culture was pushed, seeking to push and pull and drag people away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And Paul's desire for them is that they would not be pulled away from Jesus Christ. How does that happen? Well. I remember not that long ago, Michelle and I were having a conversation, and she begins to tell me about another family, not in this church, but another family that was going through some extreme medical difficulties. In the middle of her telling me this story, I said, Honey, I'm so sorry, but I, cannot, I can't hear this anymore. It's just too much for me to hear. Because what you're telling me, it, it's, it's going to require me to have to do something whether that's pray or get on the phone or send an, or something. It's going to require a response from me. And at, frankly, I don't want to do that right now. I, just, I don't. And in my own heart, there's this, there's this apathy or this laziness that prevents me from really being watchful, being mindful of, of considering, of, of being, being aware of what's going on around me to take action. And so instead of really engaging with what's going on, I'm like, honey, I, just, I can't hear anymore. Please stop. I, I, just, I, don't, have it in, I don't have it in me right now to, to deal with this. So it's our own sin sometimes that prevents us from being watchful. The second thing that prevents us from really being watchful and engaging is this. You know, I'll describe it this way. Have you ever taken your kids fishing, right? Now, a couple of things you need to learn as you take your kids fishing is, you know, and I'm not talking like, you know, bass fishing or, you know, I'm talking like bluegill, like kind of pan fish, these little fish, right? So you, you, you put the worm on the hook, put the hook in the water, and as soon as that pole gets a little bite, what, what, are the, what, does, the kid, what does the kid do? 
he rips that thing out of the water as hard and as, as fast as he possibly can, right? There's this sense of as soon as it's right, boom! I mean, there's this, this thing's getting ripped out of the water. And nine times out of ten, th- there's not a fish on the end of that thing. There's only, like, hooks flying everywhere and people, like, hitting the, hitting the deck, right? Well, here's the thing. You have to teach your kids, look, the fish, the fish are, are smarter than you think, okay? Fish aren't that smart, but they're smarter than you think. They're going to take a little nibble, and when they feel like it's safe, then they're going to take it. So you've got to wait. So you're, you're fishing, and you may get a little hit, get a little hit, and finally that thing goes under the water, and bam, you got him. Then you set the hook, right? Then you've caught yourself fish, and you don't rip the thing out of the water. You bring the thing in. Now, with Satan in our lives, it's the exact same way, all right? It's just a pop-up on our computer screen. It's just a, a few beers after work to take the edge off. It's been a long day. It, it's just a glance at a billboard on the expressway. It's just a, a brief Facebook conversation with an old girlfriend from high school. It, it's just hitting the snooze a few more times no, when I know that Jesus is calling me to seek him. It's all these things in our lives that, that dull us and lure us into thinking, hey, it's no big deal. It's just a little worm, and it's a free meal, and it's not that big of a deal. And then the hook is set, and we're nailed. That's how it works. No one's getting, we think it's harmless. No one's going to get hurt. It's just my own thing. But the hook is set. And what the Apostle Paul is doing to the church and what he's telling us today is this, be watchful because we live in a culture that would seek to pull us and push us and drag us away from the truth of Jesus Christ. That's where we live today. That wasn't just the the Corinthian church. That is our lives and our experiences as well. So it says, be watchful. But he also is in this watchfulness, he's talking not just about being careful about what's on there or what's out there, but there's also an anticipation. There's a watchfulness with an anticipation. There's watching for something. And, and at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, in this context, he's talking, in verses 54, he says, look, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an anticipation. There's a waiting for. There's a watching out for this fact that Jesus Christ is going to be victorious, that he is going to reign and rule, and he's going to be the one who's going to take care of all things and tie up all loose ends and and watch over us and care for us. There is an anticipation of the victory of Jesus Christ. There's a watchfulness, not just for what's going on around us, but there's a watchfulness and anticipation of Jesus Christ. Secondly, he says this, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. And he's not talking about just some kind of wishful thinking. This is not just some kind of, well, I hope, I hope things go well. Oh, I hope the Bible is true. I hope things work out. He's talking about the substance of our faith, about the bedrock, about the foundation, about the centerpiece of all that we are. And we see this again in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his death, and his life and his death and his resurrection. So God, I remind you of the good news of Jesus Christ, which I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Right? There, there's, there's a sense of he's, he's kind of summing up the things that he's taught the church already. He says, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done in conquering sin and death in this world. This is who Jesus Christ is. And everything in our lives and our culture around us is seeking to move us away from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. It's a worldview in which God doesn't exist. Now, I don't know, do we get those pictures of the, the fish? Okay, let me show a picture real quick. Okay, so I'm going with the, the fishing. This is the last fishing analogy I'm using, okay? So I thought we're, we're fishing, we're going to go with the fishing analogy. Have you ever caught a northern pike fish before? I don't know if many of you are fishermen or whatever. Northern pike fish. Okay, here's the deal with the northern pike. They are alligators of the north. I mean, these things are vicious. And if you can tell from this picture, all right, so that's a northern pike. This fish, these fish get to be huge, all right? And these fish are found in fresh water. They're in the lakes around us. They're hard to catch sometimes. But they have got hundreds of teeth, right, hundreds of teeth in the roof of their mouth. And what direction are they all pointing? Point to the back of their throat. So in this northern pike, when he clamps down on something, right, there's no hope. This thing's not kind of wiggling back out again. This fish is going, there's only going one way that this fish is going, to, the, to his belly, okay? That's the way the northern pike work. Now, in removing the hook from the, the mouth of the northern pike when you catch one, there, there, you never use your hand, all right? Because if that pike closes down on your hand, guess what happens? It, it, it shreds your hand. So you always have to use a pair of pliers or some kind of hook remover, always. That's the, like the first rule in, in pike fishing is you don't remove the hook with your own hand, okay? You risk getting your hand shredded. When we get caught, right, when, when that hook is set, when Satan sets that hook in us, there's only one hook remover, and that's Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get that hook out. The hook is only removed by the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's it alone. That's what Jesus Christ does. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, there's no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus comes to offer us forgiveness and mercy and grace and love. He says, look, I've given my life to remove the, the hooks that we've placed in our own mouths, the, the, the allurements that we've been deceived by and dragged away from. Jesus Christ has given his life for us that we could be set free. And it, in the Corinthian church, their experience of sexual perversion, of greed, of lawsuits, of idolatry, of selfishness and pride and abuse of power, all these things that were happening in the church, there was still hope for them. There was still hope for the church because Jesus Christ is a greater Savior, because Jesus Christ is a bigger Redeemer. The same goes for us. Jesus Christ is a greater Savior. Thirdly, we read this, act like men, all right? So 
The Apostle Paul is writing to a church, right? He's writing to, to men and women and children. He's not saying that the women and the little girls need to act like men, okay? He's not saying that. He's not making a contrast between masculinity and femininity and saying, okay, you need to all act like men. He's not saying, hey, look, everyone, don't pick up after yourselves, smell a little bit off most of the time, crack jokes at inappropriate times. He's not, he's not saying that. He's not saying that. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11, we read this. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. When, when Adeline was first born, and we, were, we, were in our, we bring her home, and I, at night, I'd like to turn the, the heat down and, and sleep in a house that's cold. And Michelle's like, honey, I'm so sorry, but um, we're going to need to turn the heat up at night. Our poor, precious daughter is going to freeze to death if we sleep in a freezing cold house. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what do you want me to do here? I mean, how am I going to get eight hours of uninterrupted, peaceful sleep with it being so hot in our house? See, it's not about me anymore. It's not about me anymore. Maturity means considering how my actions affect the people around me. That's what maturity does. Acting like a man doesn't mean all those other things, those stereotypes of men. It means we, that we grow up and that we consider the way in which our actions affect the people that live around us, the people that God's put in our lives. When Paul says act like a man, he's talking about Look, children, for the most part, think primarily about themselves. Everything is viewed through the lens of what does this mean for me? How does it affect me? What is this? Am I not going to get my snack? Am I not going to get sleep? Am I, you know, all those other things that children think about. He says, as a man, we grow up and we say, now how, do, how does what I do affect everyone else around me? Then how does it affect me? We go last, not first. We had an international student lunch in here. This is a few months ago, and there's there some ladies from the church who help cook the meal and clean up and take care of everything in the kitchen. And I thought, well, just, it's a wonderful picture. It's a wonderful picture of the way in which God has provided people. So we had probably over 100 people in the basement. We had 30 or 40 international students from all over the world here. It was a great time to go. They were well-fed. They were well-cared for. They were, they were blessed. We had great hospitality. And it's because we had, we had some ladies here who gave up a Saturday morning to cook, to care for, to make sure people were welcomed. They were thinking about other people other than themselves. And I love that. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the way in which God's created each one of us. And so we have to ask ourselves, how will my actions, how will my participation affect the people around me. 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the church as being the body of Jesus Christ, about the body in the way in which what we do affects the people around us and, and how just one person is not the entire church. Our actions will absolutely have an effect on the people around us. This week, I was putting on uh, Netflix for our two-year-old son, Max, we don't watch Netflix all the time, but sometimes we watch Netflix with little kids, okay? Putting on, a, and so 
we're kind of going, what, Max, what do you want to watch? And so we get to, I can't remember what, Octonauts or Word World or something like that, right? Son, do you want to watch this show? He says, Daddy, I hate that show. It's like, you're two. You don't, you don't know what that word means. What, what are you talking about, right? Where do you learn that? Well, he heard someone else say it, so now he says it. Someone else's, someone else's actions, someone else's language, right, his, probably his older siblings, not saying any names, but some of his older siblings maybe, had said something to that effect, and now the two-year-old says, is saying the exact same thing. Their actions affected the other one's actions. That's how it works, right? In the same way in the church, our actions, our participation, the way in which we live our lives, we say the, the words that we speak, our attitudes towards one another, the way in which we embrace the things of the Lord or not, it has an absolute effect on the people around us. And that's why even these baby dedications, we think of baby Norman, dedicating him to the Lord, recognizing you and I have an effect on his life. He's watching us to see what does it look like for someone to follow Jesus Christ. What does that look like? How is that lived out? He's looking to us to see what that looks like. And therefore, we have an opportunity and a responsibility towards each other to live that out in gospel-centered community. That's what God's given us to do. That's the responsibility that we have as family towards one another. Maturity means this, and I wrote this down. Maturity means this, that we consider the people around us and then by the grace of God, live in a way that points them to Jesus. That maturity means we consider the people around us and by the grace of God, that we would live in a way that would point them to our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's maturity. And I think that is what God is calling you and I to do. And by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, he's not left us on our own. He's not left us on our own. He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us, to equip us, to empower us, to remind us, to encourage us. That's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So again, as we wrap things up, be vigilant. There are hooks everywhere. Trust in Jesus Christ for our lives. He is the great hook remover. That's what Jesus Christ does. He removes the hooks in our mouth and we grow up into maturity that we would point one another towards Jesus Christ. I just want to finish off by reading the last few verses of this book and then we'll end. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with all of you in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of life. Jesus, thank you so much, Lord, that when we get caught, God, when we are busted, Jesus, you come and remove the hooks. Not only remove the hook, Lord, but you cleanse us and forgive us. And Lord, then give us the strength to walk with you. God, help us to lay our lives before you. Help us to trust you in all the situations of life. Jesus, thank you that you love us, care for us, and your grace is available to us. In your name we pray, amen.